0: Welcome to the SPO Great Music Podcast, brought to you by the Scarborough Philharmonic Orchestra, entertaining and serving our community and the greater Toronto area for more than four decades. Now our host, Dr. Daniel Metizada.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the first episode of the all-new SPO Great Music Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Metizada, and it's my great pleasure to be here with you all. Today, we have four interviewees on this first episode. Our first interviewee is our very own music director at the Scarborough Philharmonic Orchestra, Mr. Ronald Royer. Hi, Ron. Wonderful having you on the show.
2: It's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much, Daniel.
1: Now, before we get into everything, let's talk about this all-new SPO grade Music Podcast series. We've worked really hard over the summer. I know yourself as producer and uh, Devin Scott as the executive producer of the show. And that we have a lot of interesting interviewees, a lot of interesting uh, episode coming up over the season. Now, why did we do this in the first place?
2: At the SPO, we have a great passion and love of music. And we want to share this with the community. And because we can't do live concerts, we came up with the idea of a podcast. Our plan is to have a variety of topics and guests and to go behind the scenes, to pull back the curtain and have discussions of what performers think about music and performing, what inspires them, kind of look at their lives. And we hope people will find this interesting. For example, we're going to be doing a podcast on Beethoven. And we're not going to just talk about the music. We want to talk about the man, his personality, his schedule. So, for example, every morning he got up and he made coffee with 60 coffee beans. So it had to be 60, not 59, not 61. But it gives you an insight into his personality. And we're going to be doing a variety of things like this.
1: Right. And we're going to be having a lot of diversity over the span of the season. We're interviewing a lot of musicians and conductors and uh, just about anyone that's involved in music. We're going to talk about classical music as well as world music. We're going to have new music with younger as well as uh, more established composers. And we will be having some film and animation music. So make sure that you stay tuned and subscribe and give us a five-star review if you can. Now, Ron, let's talk about yourself. Uh, Could you tell us a little about your family background?
2: My father was born in the U.S. in the state of Maine, but his family came from Quebec. And it's interesting to note that he grew up in a community where there were a lot of French Canadians, and he didn't learn to speak English until he was in high school. Then, as a young man, uh, he moved to Los Angeles, and he met my mother, whose family were there were a lot of professional musicians. And so I grew up with lots of music in my life. Uh, my mother was a pianist. Her sister was a, a flutist. My grandfather was a cellist. They used to play uh, trios all the time and chair music. And this inspired me. And I really bonded with the cello. So that was the instrument I really wanted to play.
1: Wow. Now, you've had your early career in L.A. and Hollywood as a cellist. How was that?
2: Well, I really enjoyed um, doing a variety of different types of music as a freelance musician. So I I did classical, jazz, pop rock, and film music. So I really enjoyed that diversity. But I was really inspired by working with live composers, both in concert and in the studios. And this really influenced me to want to compose myself.
1: And uh, how did you end up in Canada afterwards?
2: Well, it was kind of an unusual path. Um, I went to a a music festival in Siena, Italy, and I met this wonderful woman named Kay um, at this music festival, and she was from Canada. And we connected, and we stayed in touch um, after the festival. And after three years of a long-distance relationship with me in Los Angeles and Kay in Ontario, uh, we married, and we decided to uh, live in Ontario. We first started living in Burlington and then we moved into Toronto. I have to say I've really enjoyed and appreciated living in Canada. It's really a wonderful country.
1: I agree. And especially uh, being here in Toronto, such a vibrant music scene. Once you moved here, did you continue to be a cellist? I know that you're more active as a composer and educator and music director now. What happened next?
2: Well, at first I continued as a, a freelance cellist in Canada. And I did for a year sub with the Toronto Symphony, which was a wonderful experience. But in looking at my life, I really realized that I wanted a bigger variety of musical experiences. For me, as much as I enjoyed the cello, I realized that I really wanted different experiences, so I started to compose, I started to teach, I started to connect. And for me, I've really enjoyed that variety of experiences. It's really been wonderful to be able to do a whole variety of, of things.
1: And uh, how did you get involved with uh, Scarborough Phil? I know that you started as composer in residence, is that correct? And later became music director?
2: Well, first... My wife, Kay, has played with the orchestra for 30 years now. So I would go to concerts and enjoy hearing the orchestra and then meeting people. And then uh, I was asked to be their composer in residence. And so I did that for a few years and really enjoyed it. And then when one of the conductors left, the board asked me if I would be interested in being the conductor of the orchestra. At first, I said, um, I'll be your interim conductor and help you. I didn't have tons of experience conducting, but at the end of the year, the people that we invited all got jobs outside the city. And so they had to turn us down. And so the board says, well, you're doing a good job. Why don't you take over as music director? And we did get feedback from the players and they were very nice about it. So I became a conductor. And I have to admit that when I went in, I didn't have tons of experience, I had some, but I've learned a lot over the years and the players have been really incredibly supportive and kind and, and helpful. And I've uh, really enjoyed conducting the SBL.
1: Working with an orchestra, it's uh, really a machine of its own. There are so many moving parts. How do you work as music director? What do you usually do?
2: Well, first, you're involved in all artistic aspects of the organization. So I'm involved with programming, involved with personnel, though that I work with other people as well. And then as a conductor, I'm responsible for organizing the rehearsals I always find that a really interesting process of going in. I, I will study my scores and have an idea, but also because there's so many wonderful musicians in the orchestra and I really like a collaborative approach, I'm also open to getting some of their feedback and ideas. And so together we've developed this interpretation for the music we're playing. And it's such a pleasure for me to go through that process. And then the concerts are always a, a real joy for all of us.
1: We'll be getting to know SBO members and musicians throughout the podcast series. We are having our 40th anniversary SBO celebration, and I believe that will be our podcast episode six. We'll be getting to know everyone and talk about behind the scenes, and uh, I'm sure there's a lot of interesting stories from some of our longtime musicians that have been there for 30, 40 years. Now, Ron, do you have any interesting stories you'd like to share with us?
2: Well, no matter how well you plan um there's always little things that go wrong and luckily with us it's it's generally they're small things and this is very common in any musical organization and you get musicians together and you enjoy sharing your stories, for example, at our last concert, December of two thousand and nineteen, our last holiday concert it was a family concert. there were lots of young people there, and so we had engaged. Santa Claus to come in and greet the kids and give out candy canes. So at the beginning of the concert, he wasn't there yet, but we were told he was coming. So uh, I announced to the audience that we have a very special visitor from the, the North Pole gonna come and, and see you and the kids are excited, and then Santa doesn't show up. It was like, oh my goodness, where is he? You know, and behind the scenes, you know, our, our executive director, Devin Scott, is you know, trying to find out where's Santa? Where's Santa? <laughs> <laughs> The ladies <laughs> will say, long story, Santa didn't show up. And then we're having to try to explain to the you know, so there's always these little things that are going wrong. And, you know, you have to, you know, keep your focus on the big picture of here's a concert, I have to connect. But then there's it's it's um, you're also dealing with these other things that are um, going, you know, occasionally go wrong. And so that that's kind of an interesting balancing act to, to, to keep all that in place. And, and that's certainly where I, I on concert days, uh, really appreciate uh, Devin and other volunteers with the orchestra that kind of really, they, they worry about the, the, those problems, you know, as they come up and, and how to deal with them. Um, but still, I'm aware and it does, it, you know, I try to take it in good frame the mind and not get too upset by things because it's life
1: i'm really looking forward to that extended uh, sixth episode with the celebrations i'm sure we'll have a lot of interesting stories now ron uh, what are some of the other highlights throughout the season
2: besides the podcast series the spo will be posting a variety of videos of chamber music on our youtube channel and there'll be everything from more traditional uh, classical music by composers like Beethoven, Bach, uh, Ravel, to a variety of, of new Canadian music. Um, we have some fantastic stuff there. And also, we'll be having a group of short animated films by Sheridan College students. And these are really wonderful. And the music is by spo related composers we think that the audience members will enjoy all these offerings
1: that's really a mix of the old and the new and that'll be really exciting for our listeners they'll stay tuned for that ron it's been absolutely wonderful having you on the show we'll be having you back throughout the season and our listeners will get a chance to not only get to know you more as music director but as cellist and composer so thanks for being on the show
2: Thank you, Daniel. And thank you for all your great work as host and also as the SPO Composer-in-Residence this year. We're really thrilled to have you on our team.
1: Wonderful. It's my pleasure being part of the SPO family this year. So take care and we'll tune in with you at a later date. Up next, we have William Rowson, music director of the Stratford Symphony. So stay tuned for that. I'd like to invite the music director of Stratford Symphony Orchestra, William Rowson. Hi, Bill. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having
0: me. Bill, could you tell us a little about the Stratford Symphony Orchestra? Sure. The Stratford Symphony Orchestra is, uh, we've just completed our 15th season, so we're a young orchestra, and we are a semi-professional orchestra. We're full-sized, and we present six concerts Uh in Stratford, every season uh, at the Avondale United Church, we also offer uh, outreach uh, programs. We have cushion concerts for kids at the local library and and for their families. And I've been the music director of the Stratford Symphony now for five and a half seasons, and we're just experiencing a really great surge of of support and sold out six of our last nine concerts. And uh, yeah, morale's really high down there. And it uses a lot of players from the uh, Southern Ontario community, and quite a few from from the Toronto area as well. That's
1: really nice to see that there's so much excitement in the air, and really Stratford has such a lively music scene. You know, a few years ago I went there. Uh, I was attending the Inner Chamber Festival. They were playing one of my pieces. It was a commission, and it was the first time I was visiting. Now. It seemed so odd and so wonderfully odd that everyone in town, I'm talking about just about everyone, was so involved in the art scene there.
0: Well, Stratford is, it's, it's a lovely place to work, I have to say. And you're exactly right. The arts community there is very, very vibrant. And I'm sure a lot of that has to do with the Stratford Festival. The city has 32,000 residents which in most cases, that's not enough to support a professional symphony orchestra, but in Stratford, it is. And there's a lot of people that have retired there from Toronto who are arts lovers and great patrons of orchestral music, and and we benefit from that a lot. Similarly, a lot of great artists live in the community, and it's been, I think, a great success of ours to engage people as soloists and whatnot in our concerts, drawing right from our own community. Could you talk a little about
1: the highlights in your season, at least for the fall, and what are some of the things you're doing throughout COVID?
0: For our upcoming season, we will be giving six presentations uh, in the fall, all online presentations, about 15 minutes long. We have a program called Music in the Round, which features our brass section, playing a lot of Gabrielli and music from Venice which is antiphonally played so that the players have to stand apart in in different choirs in various spaces in the room. We have two programs that feature music in the time of plague. The first one focuses on music from Italy in the 16th and 17th century. And then the second one is called Music in the Time of Plague Part 2. And it is music of Henry Purcell from the London plague outbreak of 1665. We have a program of sweets and serenades for our woodwind section we're going to do a program on the music of Green Sleeves, which will feature performances of Green Sleeves by a chamber orchestra made up of SSO players, and as well as a lute player and, and others. And we have a Christmas show planned, so it's a pretty busy fall. Lots of
1: variety. Are you having subscription or selling tickets per concert, and how long are they?
0: Well, we have a large subscriber base, given the size of our city and the size of our organization. And so we will be offering these as a subscription to our subscribers, and they will be sent a link. We're thinking of every two weeks, and each of the programs will be 15 minutes long. And these programs will be filmed performances, but there's also interviews, and I'll be introducing things, and we're going to have guest readers, and they tell a story, all of them, about the subject of the concert, and each of them has a local angle to them as well.
1: And I'm thinking these concerts, they'll be pre-recorded?
0: They're all going to be pre-recorded and edited after, yeah, for safety. And we've designed the venue to have musicians be able to enter as other musicians are, are leaving and, and no more than a certain amount of people in the room. and All of the precautions are taken. But we will basically set the venue up like a recording studio for the better part of a week and film them all at once.
1: I really like the 50 minute timestamp. I think that it's going to work really well, especially during COVID. Uh, it'll be really nice. I know that myself tuning in, 15, 20-minute concert, tuning out. That'll be really refreshing. So let's talk about the SBO sso collaboration. We are fostering a new relationship. However, the two organizations have worked together in the past. I know that our music director, Ronald Royer, has uh, led the SSO and that the SPO has played your music. A couple years ago, you wrote a fanfare and Ron really enjoyed it and uh, decided to program it. So what are we doing this season together? What's SPO SSO got in the works?
0: Well, as all of the orchestras were working to present in the COVID season upcoming, we just reached out and found out that both of our organizations, which are very similar in size and actually share a lot of players, uh, that we had a lot of things in common and we wanted to capitalize on that as much as we can. It, it's a bit too early perhaps to announce now, but I have programmed tentatively uh, a piece of Ron's that Kay Royer will play, as she's a member of our orchestra. I should say also we share players, so there's a lot of... Uh, Information that goes back and forth. So I found out we were doing programs on plagues and pandemics and other eras of music that have been through this, and so was the SPO. And we thought that I would be involved here, and and Ron can be involved with what we're doing, and that we could share our content with listeners to make a more enriching experience, to precede a performance by a podcast or vice versa. So that was the beginning of it. And I think that the relationship between the two orchestras is still growing more and more. And the piece that uh,
1: they're playing, is that the Nocturne for Clarinet and String Orchestra? For our listeners, Kay Royer is our principal clarinet.
0: That's right. It's a lovely piece. It's beautiful. And uh, we are going to feature a series where we focus on our principal players, and Kay is going to bring the Nocturne, and uh, it'll give us a chance for me to talk to Ron, and certainly there'll be a lot of things to talk about as fellow composers, And then we will record the piece and that'll be the centerpiece of a program, uh, which I'm sure SPO listeners will be interested in hearing. It's beautiful.
1: I'm certainly looking forward to hearing that recording, as I'm sure our listeners uh, will also be waiting for the release throughout the season. You're an accomplished composer. But you're also a music director. and How does that dynamic work? Uh, do you ever find yourself having to wear different hats when you're on stage directing versus being a composer? And do they ever come together?
0: If I'm perfectly honest, I will say I am still sorting it out at a professional level. For the most part, I will say that I switch hats. And that comes to a forefront the most when you're conducting something that you wrote. And I, in fact... Even if I'm dealing with my own music as a performer, I switch hats a little bit, uh, particularly in rehearsal and pretend somebody else wrote it and just be very, very objective about everything that I'm hearing and trying to not necessarily remember the emotion behind everything that I had written. I just need the articulation to be right and to be in tune and everything. I know that you know, as a composer, it's a constant battle in your life to find time to work and I often divide the time up from pieces that I'm working on into what I call the, the heavy lifting time at the very beginning when you're facing blank pages. And I usually have to just set aside weeks in the off season to get a few pieces, what I say, up and going. I have to adapt all of this because, of course, as a composer, it's I still find it more difficult to determine how much time will go into writing that eight minute piece of music Whereas uh, as a conductor, after 12 years of professional experience and all the training that happens before, I can sit down with a score and sit at the piano, start playing through it, really start taking it apart, learning learning from other people, phoning other conductors, marking my scores, learning it, taking all of that. It's a knowledge-based profession. It's a cumulative knowledge that goes into to how you will approach it. And um, if you've done Mozart symphonies before, you have a lot of experience to bring into the next one. So I can plan that time a little bit more. So the way it sort of looks, Daniel, to try to wrap this up is in in off seasons, I spend weeks and weeks and weeks getting a few pieces started. By that, I mean, in composer talk, that's 60 to 100 bars sketched out fairly elaborately. And so the difference between now for me, as opposed to when I was a graduate student, is I'll take that 60 to 100 bars And I carry it with me all over the country for for the better part of a year. Uh, Because you know that as a composer, that usually feels like, wow, I'm here, I'm 90% done. But in reality, that's maybe 45% done. You need to really flush that out, make sure everything is where it needs to be, and then orchestrating everything, and then all of the details takes hours and hours and hours. It engages your brain differently because you're revising and fixing something that's there. And I find I can do that throughout the season. But that heavy lifting first part, I I separate from from my performing life.
1: Right. And I work in a similar fashion. Uh, Normally, I need that initial time to let the idea simmer. Normally, I like to think about what I'd like to say from anywhere between a few days to a few weeks. Once I have those ideas, I jot them down on a sketchbook somewhere and later on when i find the time after teaching or performances and other schedules only then i would really get down to working on them refining them and further developing them so thanks so much bill this has been such a wonderful conversation I'm looking forward to having you on our second episode in a couple of weeks. We're going to have William Rousen back on the show, and we'll be talking about plagues, pandemics, and musicians, so please stay tuned for that. I'd like to invite our uh, listeners to visit Bill's website, rousenmusic.com, and to stream some of his music to explore and keep in touch. I'd like to also invite you to go to stratfordsymphonyorchestra.ca and to keep in touch with their season highlights. So take care, Bill, and talk soon. Up next, we have the executive director of the Scarborough Arts with us, Derek Spooner. For those of you who don't know about the Scarborough Arts They're a not for profit charitable organization and they've been serving the Scarborough community for over 40 years, developing and promoting innovative arts programs. They're located right here in the Bluffs and they often collaborate with various partnerships and community members. Hi, Derek. Thanks for joining us.
3: Hi, Daniel. Thanks so much for having me today.
1: Wonderful having you on the first podcast episode. So, Derek, could you speak a little about your organization? What are some of your highlights and partnerships for the 2021 season?
3: Certainly. So um, I work at a place called Scarborough Arts. We are one of Toronto's six local arts service organizations mandated to bring arts and cultural services, programming, and advocacy to communities outside the downtown core uh, with a focus on communities that are underrepresented. I've been at the organization for two and a half years now. And some of the program highlights that we have this year include our uh, COVID-Adapted Community Connects online program, which is an online workshop series um, engaging various artists across Scarborough and connecting them to uh, participants on a a multitude of, of multidisciplinary arts topics, trainings, and seminars. We also uh, have the East Youth Collective Program, which every year, this is a program that's run for eight years. And every year it features a different artistic discipline. And this year it is Healthy Relationships Through Music, a resiliency program. So it's a program that's geared towards BIPOC women-identified youth, and it focuses on um, sexual health and reproductive health, as well as learning about things like consent and STI, HIV prevention. And then the participants actually take that and synthesize it into an album that they're working on. And again, this project, a couple of our partners are um, the Toronto Urban Health Fund, which is the major funder for the program, as well as the Arbonne Charitable Foundation. And then among other things that we're doing, I mean, I must say that we're very fortunate in that we've been able to uh, sustain ourselves throughout COVID, although it still is a a struggle, but there are so many organizations that are, are still struggling out there. But we've been very fortunate enough to be able to adapt our programming that we were uh, providing before to online formats. So like our healthy art for seniors, um, we're not doing an online format, but we're doing an in-person delivery of their, the book that they're working on and other things that uh, just help us to like adapt in the age of COVID. I just wanted to also mention that Emily Pelche, our new program manager, has done an incredible job leading the EAST program in combination with our youth coordinator, Dynasty Williams, who is a recording artist and financial literacy trainer, as well as we have two peer mentors, Alyssa Kovac and Sabrina Wright. I just want to give a big shout out to them because the work they've done this year with the team has been absolutely phenomenal, and they've really been able to lend their talents to helping the young women develop their own vocal talents and like artistic identity through the program.
1: That sounds wonderful. Um COVID's been tough on most organizations, but I think it's about adaptability. I'm very much interested in the Music and Health Initiative. I think that's a really effective use of song. As we know throughout history, art has always been used to educate and inform kids and youth in regard to their society and immediate surrounding. Now, Derek, are these songs being recorded and can our listeners gain access to them throughout the season?
3: Yes, absolutely. That's a great question. So excitingly, the youth participants actually just started recording this week at a place called Abstract Learning, which is a new um, recording studio that is uh, relatively new, but they have great facilities and great programs geared towards youth. So once the content is fully recorded and mastered, it will be available late fall on our website and via our Bandcamp platform but the exciting part is that we also wanted this program to serve as like a launch pad for youth to help develop their careers and so many of them actually we've we've left the ownership of like the beats and some of the music with the youth so that they can use it in future recordings so although you can check it out on Scarborough Arts's website come late fall 2020 also just stay tuned to the radio waves because you never know when you're going to hear one of these wonderful musicians uh grace the airwaves with their wonderful music
1: That's a fantastic initiative, and I'm sure our listeners, including myself, are very much looking forward to hearing these songs, hopefully on the radio. Looking at your background, Derek, uh, you've certainly dabbled with music. You've played French horn, as well as trumpet, background in theater, academic studies in social justice advocacy, gender, and women's studies. And that's fascinating, uh, because it almost seems that you have such a multidisciplinary approach to everything that you're doing today. Would you say that these separate spheres at some point intersect and that they inform one another in the things that you do as executive director and the running of Scarborough Arts?
3: Oh, yes, absolutely. I think... You know, I think Scarborough Arts in the past uh, year or so has really been looking towards revitalizing our mission and mandate, but also looking about how art can really lend itself to the building of healthy, connected communities. And so that's something that I think uh, my background definitely informs our work in doing that. And I think just having an understanding of like what the creative process is, um, you know, so understanding sort of like that it is a nonlinear process, that it isn't something that's like a scientific approach to things, but that it really is more about like trying things and seeing what works and, and sort of like living through the questions that you have is something that I think informs what we do. Especially because we have so many vibrant and diverse community partners across so many different intercultural, multidisciplinary backgrounds that there's a lot at stake for Scarborough Arts uh, within the community. And so I think, yeah, it definitely does inform that. And, and even just also looking at like demographically, like who are the people that we are most mandated to serve and kind of like understanding that in, in a deeper way and, and some of the like socioeconomic issues that face many of our participants You know, we're looking towards like reducing barriers, like increasing accessibility. And so these are things that have been uh, on our radar for some time. But to your point, it does actually, it's very much lends itself to uh, my background, which I'm very grateful for.
1: Mm -hmm. I can certainly see that through all the programs you're offering, that you've really synthesized all these multifaceted approaches with your background. And it's absolutely wonderful to see this in our community here in Scarborough. So I'd love for our listeners to tune in to ScarboroughArts.com and to keep in touch, to connect, share, and to be a part of it all. So thank you, Derek. It was a pleasure having you on the show. And I'm sure we're going to connect throughout the season and dive a little deeper into some of the collaborative work that you may have.
3: Sure. Thank you so much for having me, Daniel. And I, I will just plug in and say one other thing. So we, we do have a membership program, and our members actually access our programming for free. For non-members, it is uh, usually a nominal fee or also also free, depending on the funding that we have. So our programs are very accessible, and I would encourage people, you know, if you're looking for something to do in the pandemic, if you're, you know, bored of being at home and want to connect with people, like, tune in to Community Connects. Come see what we're doing. Uh, we'd love to see you there.
1: Fantastic. And uh, for our listeners, this is it. Please tune in and support. There's a lot of interesting opportunities for everyone. So take care Derek and hope to see you soon.
3: Take care Daniel.
1: Our next guest is Tamar Ilana. She's the executive director of Fab Collab. Tamar is a singer and flamenco dancer and she grew up on the roads with her ethnomusicologist mother traveling and performing throughout the Mediterranean since age 5. What an interesting background. Hi Tamar. Nice to have you on the show.
4: Hi, Daniel. Thanks so much. Pleasure to be here.
1: So before we get into your background, let's talk about Fab Collab. This is a new organization and uh, SBO recently collaborated with them. Could you talk a little about this?
4: Sure. Yeah. Fab Collab is a new production company based out of Toronto, Canada, of course. And um, it's really a bunch of like-minded artists and people from the arts and music community that have come together Um, and during the pandemic, to present musicians that are generally unrepresented. So, or not unrepresented, but underrepresented, shall we say. Um, A lot of BIPOC voices and uh, people from other parts of the world. And just generally, you know, what's considered world music and what often doesn't have a lot of representation um, in big festivals or, you know, on bigger, bigger stages or... In the mainstream or on the, on the radio, so we really want to focus on on those areas, especially during these times where you know that scene, that world music scene, generally thrives on live. Well, as do we all, but thrives on live on live performance and live shows. And all of our venues, of course, as you know and as everyone knows, are not able to present us and our and our seasons or our year, and at least this year, were completely wiped clean. So we're trying to find another way to um, do those shows and maintain high quality and um, yeah, just present some of the best artists in town and potentially worldwide.
1: It's really great to see uh, organizations really spearheading uh, through COVID, trying to maintain musicianship and online presence and connectivity. And this is what this podcast is about. This is what SPO's is doing as well. We're really reaching out and connecting with everyone in our community and beyond.
4: Exactly.
1: Now let's talk about Scarborough Arts. Uh, I just interviewed Derek Spooner, and we were speaking about some of the music programs that they were offering. Uh, Did you collaborate with them? Could you speak a little about that?
4: Yeah. So they offered um, a mentorship program that at the at the start of this um, pandemic in March. And I, and I just responded and, and, um, there was a list of potential mentors you could, you could meet with and work with. And Derek Spooner looked super interesting. And honestly, I just wrote him and he called me and we've been talking ever since. And he's basically offered ongoing mentorship with anything that I ever do. He was, you know, um, I would bounce a lot of ideas off him at the beginning of Fab Collab and um he's just been very there for me full of ideas and he connected me to spo actually and therefore to you so it's just been very fruitful and one of those other you know magical things that have arisen
1: it's amazing how COVID has connected us with uh organizations and people that uh perhaps we normally wouldn't have connected with it's it's fantastic now let's talk about uh yourself as a musician uh you sing in more than twenty languages. That's incredible. Uh, tell us about that. I'm f- so interested to find out more.
4: Sure. Yeah. So, as you mentioned, my mom's an ethnomusicologist, so she studies music in the context of its culture. And um, when I was a child, I would accompany on her on all her fieldwork research trips. You know, primarily to Sephardic communities. So those are the the Jews of the. Middle East, so to speak, um, that were expelled from Spain in 1492 and went to live um, throughout the the Balkans, Turkey, Greece, Morocco. Um, and uh, we would go to those communities and really like interview kind of like old ladies in old age homes kind of thing. And, uh, and uh, that was hard for me as a kid, I'll be honest, because you have to sit quietly in a corner and everyone pinches your cheek and stuff like that. And, uh, <laughs> and there was like, I was the only child. There were no kids often. Sometimes in the villages, there would be like a few kids there for the summer and they would just be like, who is this alien? And they would take me, uh, under their wing and kind of show me all the secrets of the town. And like, if there were, we spent a lot of time in the villages of Portugal and, um, you know, they would show me like all the castles there. And that part was, was pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, I kind of grew up doing that since, since I can remember since four or five, well, since I can remember, really. And all the way into my teens, I would really um, accompany her. And still now, I, I, to an extent, I sometimes do. And then I grew up on, show so she would learn those songs um, that she recorded kind of before they were lost and uh, teach them to me. And we would perform them, you know, throughout throughout Europe um, and throughout North America. So I really grew up on stage singing these old ballads and old songs and in multiple languages, um, Ladino, Hebrew. Arabic, uh, Turkish, Greek, Macedonian, Bulgarian, etc. And then um, on another note, I I was fascinated. I saw a dancer in Toronto, actually, Esmeralda Enrique. And I saw her dance flamenco when I was a child, around seven or eight. And I said, I want to do that. So I I did. I went and talked to her and um, I began studying, dance with her. And I now teach out of her studio here in Toronto, the Academy of Spanish Dance. And I sing for her company, the Esmeralda Enrique Spanish Dance Company. Um, and she really started me on my flamenco journey. So simultaneously, I had been touring with my mom. I'd been performing with her. I'd been studying flamenco, these two paths. And and um, through my mom's studies, we'd spent a lot of time in Spain where I learned Spanish um, with the with the kids of the towns there. And, uh, eventually I realized, you know, I've been studying flamenco for over a decade. I go to Spain all the time. Hold on a second. Flamenco is from Spain. <laughs> then lo- eventually later after kind of university, I ended up moving to Spain and, and immersing myself and studying flamenco full time in, in Seville in a, in a prestigious academy and kind of putting them, putting all these things together. Um, yeah, there's the beginning. <laughs>
1: wow. Um, you're really well traveled and, um. You know, I myself have lived in various countries uh, growing up, so I can understand how uh, living with different cultures really shapes who you are, but also finds its way into your music. And I can certainly hear uh, the effects of that in everything that I've heard so far uh, in your albums. Now, speaking of albums, I was on YouTube recently, and uh, listening to one of your songs, I came across uh, the YouTube video of you in studio. Uh, the song was called Ahmet Nasimi..
4: Oh, cool.
1: And uh, I really enjoyed that song. Um, now, it sounded really Turkish to me. Uh, and upon further listening to the entire album, I saw the title. It said Turkish slash Persian. Uh, Now, have you traveled to Turkey or Iran?
4: To Turkey, yes, although I haven't been in a long time. I I went uh, when I was a child. Um, To Iran, unfortunately, no, but I do have the pleasure of playing with Nahmet Fatimant here in, in Toronto, who is an incredible Iranian percussionist, master percussionist. Um, that's as close as I've come though uh, hopefully one day but yeah I love that song I learned it in Madrid from, from two beautiful musicians Bill Cooley and Ido Segal um, for a series that we, we did in Madrid a few years ago
1: yeah that's uh, there's something about it I don't know what it is about this specific tune that uh, perhaps it brings me closer to the east uh, well
4: we'll have to do it together Yes, yes, please. <laughs> Done.
1: Also, in that video there is a tiny tiny ukulele. <laughs> what is that instrument? Could you tell us?
4: Yeah, it is the smallest thing. Yeah, it's called a baglama and it's a traditional Greek instrument. So our our oud player Dimitri Patsalakis is originally from Greece and uh he he's a multi-instrumentalist and that's one of the the instruments um he plays.
1: Okay, so I would encourage our listeners to go onto YouTube and search "Ahmed Nasimi" by Ventas, <laughs> and just watch that studio version. I really enjoyed it.
4: And the instrument, yeah, thanks so much. We, uh, that's Canterbury. I was just there all, all week, actually. Um, and that just so this, you get the spelling, it's B A G L A M A is the little instrument, Baglama. We once played Vancouver Folk Festival and we played like this huge stage there and he did a solo with just the Baglama and there was like thousands of people and everyone went down on the stage, sitting on the stage and he was just standing playing this tiny instrument. It was like the best. <laughs> I can't find it. That was before like all these like Instagram and everything. Right. But yeah, <laughs> it was the best. Uh,
1: now tell us about Ventanas. Ben- uh, is this a new ensemble you're working with?
4: Yeah, no, it's not that new. It's been around um, since 2011, almost 10 years now. So when I came back, I guess I'll pick up on that thread. So when I came back from Seville, from living and studying um, flamenco there, I came back and founded Ventanas, uh, which is kind of a mix of all these cultures and repertoires that I have grown up doing and and, um, have studied mix flamenco balkan sephardic music um turkish persian all these all these musics that you hear a little bit of ukrainian since i've also spent the the last decade um really immersed in the toronto ukrainian community and singing and and touring with them and also uh some portuguese um, brazilian maracatu influence that I've, i've also been working with the maracatu community not just in toronto but also in barcelona Seville, Paris, San Francisco, <laughs> um, Brazil. So, yeah, it's a mix, I guess, of, of everything that, that we do. And then, of course, the musicians themselves have incredible, diverse and deep backgrounds. So, you know, we have like from jazz, you know, top jazz musicians to flamenco to um, Indian classical backgrounds in the musicians to, you know, quartets and, and, and uh, symphony and classical <laughs> You know, chamber backgrounds. So it's just such a, and of course, Greek oud and Arabic influences. Like so, everything comes together, and, and then we have uh, ventanas, which means windows in Spanish. So the idea is that it's a win- windows into all these cultures and and lives.
1: And you can certainly hear that in the entirety of the album. Each song is stepping into, uh, just like a window, viewing a different region. Now you've also worked with uh, certain composers. I saw one on the album. Could you talk about that?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So some of them are composed by the band members themselves or ourselves. We 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 joint compose um, some of the songs, and then in our recent album we have a song by a Lebanese composer Asfur. Asfur Talim shibag, and it's um in Arabic. It's about a bird being freed from its cage, and um, that's by an amazing composer, Marcel Khalife, um, that everyone should go check out. Uh,
1: Absolutely wonderful. Um, Let's talk about holidays. We're going to be bringing you back for our holiday episode during December. Now, you singed Ukrainian traditional music. Can you talk a little about that?
4: Yeah, sure. So I've been involved. First of all, Ukrainian traditional polyphonic music is just has the most stunning harmonies you know some of some of the most stunning in the world so I just love it It, I grew up singing a lot of Balkan stuff so it uh, resonates with me in that way um but I've been really immersed here in the Toronto Ukrainian community with a a group called Kosa Collective um with Lemon Bucket sometimes and um I've just sung it so much over the course of the winter. What happens is I don't want to think about the winter yet, but we, you know, it's okay. (laughs) But, uh, um, there's a lot of deep traditions in the, in the Ukrainian community that are associated and attached to the winter, to the winter solstice to new year's, which is later in January for, um, the Ukrainian community. Um, and, uh, for Christmas, which is of course, celebrated on the 7th of January, the 12th day of Christmas. And, um, all the songs that we sing over the course of the winter are, are about those holidays and those traditions. And, uh, really, I, I'm, it's for me, there's kind of like four seasons. I think of it as, you know, like spring, summer, fall, and then almost Ukrainian season for me. It's been a decade. You know, we're going, we go to house to house. We do what's called kolyada, which is where you, um, you you really go caroling from house to house you go with a group of singers you ring the doorbell, you walk, you ask to enter, all in Ukrainian, you enter in singing, you're you're all dressed dressed up, sometimes with masks and um, the masks uh, I've been told that they represent, they can often represent um, evil spirits that you want to invite in on this Hmm. particular day so that they don't come back for the rest of the year Interesting, you know, so you enter yeah, you enter wearing them and singing, and uh yeah, the houses welcome you in, they feed you, they give you way too much vodka if you drink it, and you go from house to house all night for two nights, at least, yeah, it's really beautiful traditions
1: that sounds so lovely, just seems so warm and welcoming, you should come I'll yeah, do
4: the songs, and you can come with us that's
1: that sounds absolutely wonderful. <laughs>
4: It goes to all our listeners. If anybody's interested in learning or coming and singing with us, please let let me know. We'll talk about it again, of course, in a couple of months. But uh, also anything, I just want to extend an invitation if anybody wants to learn anything or or know anything else about what we've talked about, please um, get in touch with Daniel and, and the orchestra, and I'm happy to, to share and to teach anything.
1: Right. And uh, for our listeners, please uh, uh, do go on to fabcollab.ca and keep in touch there. Uh tamarilana.com is uh, Tamar's personal website, so please do go on there and check out some of her albums, perhaps even uh, purchase one. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, Or stream it on Spotify and Apple Music and so on. And there's uh, also ventanamusic.com, so do check them out as well and keep in touch. It's been absolutely wonderful uh, having you on the show, Tamar. Thank you. We're going to see you in december i'm really looking forward to our holiday season episode
4: can't wait thank you so much daniel and to spo for you know reaching out being part of the community and, and for having me on board thank you so much
1: wonderful take care have a good day make sure that you tune in to our second episode on friday october 2nd plagues pandemics and musicians we'll be bringing in some new guests a musicologist as well as orchestras Canada executive director so stay tuned The SPO Great Music Podcast has been brought to you in part by funding from the Toronto Arts Council and our amazing SPO members and donors. If you'd like to show your support, please consider making a monthly or one-time donation through CanadaHelps.org. Just search for Scarborough Philharmonic Orchestra. Details available on our website, spo.ca. Our executive producer and audio engineer is Devin Scott. Our producer and music director is Ronald Royer. And our host and segment audio engineer is myself, Dr. Daniel Metizadeh. Special thanks to content and technical contributors Bruno DeGazio, Elijah Goldstein, Donna Powell, James and Kay Royer, and Brittany Starkman. To our community partners Scarborough Arts, the Stratford Symphony, and Fabco Lab. And of course, to our SB Board of Directors. Until next time.